So um, this morning we are kicking off a summer uh, preaching series and we're calling it Encountering Jesus. Um, if you think about the early beginnings of Christianity, um, essentially what it was, it was stories of, like, of people telling other people's stories of how they encountered Christ. So you might think of the Samaritan woman in John 4 who said, you know, ran back to her townspeople and said, um, come and hear a man who told me everything I've ever done. You know, or the blind man in John 9 who said, um, you know, as the religious leaders were questioning him, he said, you know, I don't know about all of those things. All I know is that once I was blind and now I can see because of this man. And so what we thought we'd do uh, for the months of July and August is invite people that you may not normally hear from, members of our congregation, to come up and share their stories of how they encountered Jesus. And um, you know, maybe some will be more dramatic, like um, a healing story. Maybe some will be really mundane. But in all of these um, stories that people will be sharing, um, that they, they will be giving just firsthand accounts of what it means to kind of stand face to face um, with the living Christ in their lives today. So our first um, speaker, um, I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. Her name is Kimberly Malone. Um, Kimberly is a spiritual director, and if you don't know what that is, ask her about that after service. Um, she um, has, is a graduate of um, seminary, studying theology and diversity studies. Um, she teaches a spirituality course um, in prison. I think right now it's at Sing Sing, another thing you could ask her about after the service. Um, she's married to Michael Malone um, and stepmom to Benjamin and Devin over here uh, today. Um, and just the last thing I'll say about Kimberly that I really appreciate about her is that, you know, a lot of times we struggle with prayer and, or we think of prayer as being something kind of boring. And um, Kimberly, as long as I've known her, um, has these really delightful, we call them like pr prayer games in a way of like prayer games that she plays with God and a way of her kind of um, yeah, playing with God and turning that into prayer. And I'm, I'm hoping someday she'll write a book about that. Uh, but anyways, I'm excited for you to hear from her this morning. So please join me in welcoming Kimberly Malone. Good morning. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. I pray, Lord, this morning that you will remind us that we are loved and that you will enable us to heal the world. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of the first times that I encountered God that I can remember was when I was 12 years old. I had gone to a retreat. My church had organized the youth group to go to a retreat center in the Poconos. And it was Saturday afternoon, and I was taking a walk by myself. And in that moment, it was less about words, and it was more about a feeling. And the feeling that I had in that moment was of being seen and being accepted and being loved, with a little dash of joy and, and hopefulness. And what was striking about that feeling is because it was a time in my life where I was having a hard time feeling like I fit in. I didn't necessarily feel like I belonged at home or at school. And I felt like I was constantly plagued by this question of, is, is who I am okay? 
I continued to go on retreats uh, throughout high school and throughout college. And it wasn't until my early 20s when I realized that I could organize my own retreat. I learned that there was a convent of Lithuanian nuns not too far from where I was living at that time. And so I called the nuns and I asked them if I could come visit for a couple days and they graciously agreed. And ever since then, every few months or every few years, depending on what's going on in my life, I have gone away on a retreat. The most epic retreat that I have attempted was back in 2017. I went on a month-long silent retreat. In my training to become a spiritual director, I had learned that almost 500 years ago, St. Ignatius had come up with a retreat guide that people were still using today. It's called the Ignatian Spiritual Exercises. And I wanted to try it. So I found a group of nuns and I asked if I could come visit them for a month. And they graciously agreed. I went to the Linwood Retreat Center in Rhinebeck, New York for the month. Now, leading up to this retreat, I had only been dating my then boyfriend and now husband for a few months. And I figured that it's maybe not the most uh, usual thing for someone to leave their life and sit in silence for a month. So leading up to the retreat, I asked Michael, do you have any idea what I'm doing? And I was surprised when he said that he did. Um, and then he said, yeah, you're spelunking the caverns of your soul. And I loved that image of my soul, like this system of caves. And these retreats like expeditions and adventures to discover what was within them. So I wanted to tell you about my most recent soul spelunking expedition, um, which was back in April. I called up um, some monks and I asked if I could stay at the Holy Cross Monastery uh, for a couple days. And in order to get there in time for dinner, I had to sort of race out of work. And so I showed up a little bit kind of frazzled and a little harried. But after a good night's sleep and a good breakfast, I found a comfy chair in the retreat center. And I kind of settled in with my spelunking tools, my Bible, my journal, a couple books. And some of these retreats, I've, I've went on them with a very clear purpose, something that I wanted to spend time thinking about or a decision that I had to make in my life that I really wanted to, to prayerfully um, discern. But this particular retreat back in April, I didn't have a plan. I didn't really have something that was pressing that I wanted to think about. So I wasn't exactly sure where to start. Um, and it happened to be the week after Easter. So I decided that I would read what was happening in the weeks after Easter in the Bible. So I decided to read each one of the Gospels and their account of what was happening um, after Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and so I started reading through them and I was looking for words or themes or um, passages that kind of jumped out at me. And the first theme that jumped out at me uh, reminded me of something that had happened on my silent retreat. Uh, St. Ignatius really encourages praying with your imagination. Uh, and so even though I grew up as a mainstream Protestant and Mother Mary was not a central figure in my, my spiritual life, 
on this retreat, I found myself having an imaginary conversation with Mother Mary, where I asked her, what was Jesus like as a child? And the Mother Mary in my mind, without even skipping a beat, responded by saying, he loved food. <laughs> and I love that image of Jesus savoring food, that crusty bread or flaky grilled fish. Uh, and it has since then added texture to that moment in our service when we say, and do this, eat in remembrance of me. Um, so I couldn't help but notice that the resurrected Jesus comes back hungry. In so many of these different encounters, he is asking for food. He is um, walking along the way with two travelers. And when they say, do you want to come over for dinner? He's like, yes, absolutely. Or he's talking to the disciples on the beach and he's saying, you know what, let's have this conversation over breakfast. Um, so that was one of the first things that I noticed. And I'm sure that scholars, maybe even the gospel writers, might have been demonstrating that Jesus did come back from the dead fully human and fully God. And, and perhaps that's why it's in there, but I think that it's because Jesus loved food. So then I started, I decided that I was going to um, pay attention to the last thing that Jesus says in each of the Gospels before he ascends into heaven. I figured if I was a gospel writer, I would know that that would be an important message. And as I started reading through these uh, last messages of Jesus, most of them were ones that I would recognize, ones that sounded like the Jesus that I knew. They were things like, you know, go out into all the world. Um, they were things like the importance of forgiveness or uh, reminding us that even though he will not be with us, that the Holy Spirit will be our guide. And then I came to the Gospel of Mark, which was the scripture that we read today. And that, in that message, I didn't recognize. Um, there's a note that in my Bible, that this last section of Mark was not included in the original manuscript, uh, but it was added later. But in this added version of Mark's gospel, Jesus said, and these will be signs of my believers. They will um, cast out demons. They will uh, speak in new tongues. They will uh, pick up snakes. They will drink deadly poison and not be harmed. And they will uh, lay their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. And at this point on my retreat, I sort of put my Bible down in my lap. And if you had looked at me, my brow was definitely furrowed because I couldn't help but think, I haven't seen any of those signs in my own life. And when I look around, those don't seem to be common signs of believers. Um, and so I was confused. I imagined that if Jesus had said, and these will be signs of my believers, uh, I might have expected when I look around today, it to be something like they will pray, they will uh, attend worship services, they will uh, give donations to those in need, they will um, comfort one another by saying, I'll pray for you, and they'll post things about me on social media. Uh, 
But that's not what Jesus says. He says, signs of my believers will be that they'll cast out demons and drink deadly poison. And this is the benefit of um, coming to one of these moments in scripture that's confusing when you're on a retreat, is that I had nowhere to go and nowhere to rush off to and nowhere to be. And so I decided to sit with that passage. And I asked Jesus to show me what is going on here. Help me recognize you. Help me understand what is happening here. So I pulled out my journal and I wrote down five words. I wrote down demons, tongues, snakes, poison, and healing. And I prayed. And I looked at that first word, demons, and I started thinking about um, the passages in scripture that I had read about demons. Uh, and I, in my journal, tried to write a list of characteristics of demons, things that I might recognize today as demons. And I thought about unhealthy coping mechanisms and addiction and fears and insecurity and shame and how those things sometimes harm us or we harm one another when we're struggling with them. And as I sat there thinking about demons in that kind of way, I started thinking about how there were times in my life that I was plagued by insecurities and fears that I am not today. And so it made me wonder if I had had demons cast out of me. And as I looked over my life and I thought about um, when this might have happened, I zeroed in on a very specific time in my life. About 15 years ago, um, I was uh, at, at the end of my 20s, nearing 30, and at the time I was in seminary. And when I look back on that time in my life, it is a very clear before and after time in my life, because that was a deep time of healing. And this is how I would describe it, is that um, before, I told you that question of, is who I am okay, was constant. It was as if I had this great big invisible question mark over my head and in every interaction every conversation everything i did i was trying to answer that question is who i am okay and uh, it took up a lot of my energy um, because what would happen is say there was a day where i accomplished something or someone gave me an affirmation i might feel in that moment that that question was answered but it would inevitably wake up the next morning and the question was there again, and I needed to answer it over and over and over again. Uh, but that time when I was in seminary, that time of healing, the most amazing thing happened. God answered that question, and this is how he answered it. He answered it with, you are my daughter, whom I love, with you, I am well pleased. And everything changed. I woke up the next morning and that question mark had been replaced with an exclamation point. And 
I acted differently. I, I went out into the world differently. I um, all of a sudden had more energy. Um, I recognized that in new ways, I was able to be creative. Um, in new ways, I was able to take risks. Um, I could even have someone not like me and be okay. Uh, And as I thought about that experience of knowing that I'm loved, um, deeply being rooted in my love, in God's love, I recognize that um, I think I had had demons cast out of me in that time. So then I shifted to the next word, tongues. And I think my working understanding of speaking in new tongues is uh, that somehow I would uh, encounter someone who spoke a foreign language and without studying it, I would be able to all of a sudden speak German or understand Italian. Um, that's sort of what I thought it meant to speak in tongues. But again, as I looked back over my life and I specifically thought about this before and after time in my life, um, I also recognize that in addition to that kind of new energy, uh, that I was speaking differently. Um, I was speaking with some more confidence. I was speaking with um, wisdom or without needing to convince or impress. Um, I felt like I had the freedom to speak honestly. Um, and I noticed that there were some strangers in my life who it seemed like immediately they understand what I was saying. And then there was people that I loved dearly who were very confused about how I was now talking. Um, and it made me wonder if speaking in tongues is really like a love language. Um, maybe less understanding foreign languages and more this premise of when we know we are loved, we interact with one another differently. So then I thought about the word snakes um, and I, opened up my Bible to Genesis, where uh, Eve encounters a snake. Uh, and I, again, wrote in my journal, what are characteristics of snakes? They're crafty deceivers. Um, and I recognized in that interaction with Eve, the snake causes doubt, um, makes Eve wonder if she is now on her own, that she is now separate from God. And it was as if there is a flicker of that question mark um, coming up over her mind again. Um, and I figured if that is the definition of snakes, um, intentionally or unintentionally, people or experiences that cause that doubt or that question of that love, then I have certainly picked up some snakes uh, along the way. So then I turned to the word poison. Um, and I searched my Bible for the word poison, and I noticed that in Psalm 140 and in a passage in James, it talks about um, sharp tongues full of deadly poison. And I thought about um, words as being poisonous. And I thought about that juxtaposition of speaking in that language of love or speaking um, poisonous words to one another. And I thought about how we have the ability to heal one another and harm one another. 
But I thought about how it says signs of my believers will be that they drink poison and they're not harmed. And I thought about not that believers need to avoid harm, but in that moment that you can drink in even venomous, poisonous words. And it was as if that love inside of you and your belly is like an anecdote that you can actually take it in and be okay. Which brought me to the last word healing. And I thought about um, during that time of healing in my life, there was very specific healers that were uh, with me at that time. Uh, and I thought about on that retreat just the week before I had had two interactions, one with a young woman that I mentor and one with one of the students at my class in prison, um, where they had communicated that I had been a part of their healing. And I sat there sort of marveling that uh, we can we can be a part of healing other people. So I sat there looking at my journal and all my notes and thinking about uh, demons, tongues, snakes, poison, and healing. Uh, and I thought about this spelunking of this cavern, this particular cavern in my soul that I had just been on, um, and how it had reminded me of um, how I might have had demons cast out of me, how God had answered that question in my life that you are my daughter, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I thought about my own ability to speak that language of love, um, the protection that I've been given from snakes and poison, um, and the ability to heal. And as I sat there, I recognized Jesus and his message in the same way that I would recognize Jesus's message of uh, forgiveness, or waiting for the Holy Spirit, I recognize the Jesus that, uh, that says healing is possible for yourself and for others. Um, I recognize the Jesus that cares about healing and cares about food. So what I would encourage you to uh, explore the caverns of your own souls um, that we have opportunities through scripture to encounter Jesus, uh, to be rooted deeply in that love and to be able to heal others. I would encourage you to uh, go for a walk or go for a weekend, maybe even call some nuns or monks to see if you could stay with them uh, and take some time to ponder these things like, who are my snakes? Or who are my healers? Um, and maybe we can just even take a moment this morning um, to maybe think about if there have been times where you have spelunked the cavern of your soul, um, or what are ways in your own life that you can make space to really sit with the things that uh, confuse you. So let's just take a few minutes uh, right now.
Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. I pray each person here um, and at home would encounter your healing love. That we would be people that exhibit these types of signs of your believers. And that you would use us, Lord, to heal one another and to heal our communities. I thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. The things that we can see and the things that we can't. In your name we pray. Amen.